are striking about this commandment. In the first place, that it is a positive command. Most of them, of the ten, are negative. The fourth was positive. Remember the Sabbath day. This one also is. It doesn't warn us against a danger, although certainly implied to the commandment are the dangers that we are prone to, that we would dishonor our parents. But it sets forth a positive principle. Honor your father and your mother. In the second place, what strikes you is how foundational the honoring of father and mother is. Not just to the well-being of a home, but of society in general. In other words, there's a reason why this is the first in the second table of the law. If in the home there is not an honoring of father and mother, and if in the home father and mother do not demand and require such honoring, then there will not be in the school, in the church, in the workplace, and in society at large. Where you find in all those other spheres an honoring of authority, you find somebody who was raised well in a home in which authority was modeled in a right way and submission to authority was required. The third thing that strikes us about this commandment as being unique is that it has a promise added to it. And the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5 draws attention to that, Ephesians 6 actually, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may go well with thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. That doesn't make this command a condition. If you honor your father and mother, then you have earned. Then you have done your part and God will give you. Rather, Jehovah is emphasizing by this promise that it is his desire and therefore something he will give to his elect, redeemed in Christ, long life, peace, happiness, a life of harmony in the church of Jesus Christ, ultimately, of course, a life of harmony and peace in heaven. But that such harmony and peace can be enjoyed only in the way of submitting oneself to authority. And so we come this morning to this commandment, realizing that our nature and our old man of sin needs the instruction that our Lord and Savior will give. And what motivation do we have to learn, to learn well, and to keep? The motivation already hinted in that promise that God gave, but the motivation ultimately being that Jehovah God is our authority. And we know that. That we know Him as an authority, not just in that He tells us what we must do, and He gets angry with us if we don't, but we know Him as an authority in His love for us in Jesus Christ. In that He has redeemed us. That He he recognized, He knew as we do too, that apart from salvation Christ, we could not honor our authorities or parents. In fact, we would despise them and curse them 
but Jehovah God, renewing us in Jesus Christ and putting us into the church, did so with this in view, that we keep the whole law, also this one, that we honor. We have the motivation of gratitude, and we have the power that comes from God in Christ by His Holy Spirit. We desire now to sit at His feet. And as we do so, we will be brought up short. He will remind us of sins that we've committed, that we're prone to commit, that we might even perhaps now be committing. But also in reminding us of those sins, His goal is to turn. He is a merciful and a loving Savior. So at the feet of Jesus, taught by Christ in the school of the law, we turn to this lesson today, honoring father and mother. First of all, let's learn the underlying principle. Secondly, let's understand Christ's specific application that he makes in Mark 7. And finally, we will receive grace to obey as Christ obeyed. The underlying principle to the commandment is that there is such a thing as authority, that is, a spiritual power that some have over others, and that that authority has come from God and is rooted in His governing of the universe and the history of the world. So, to elaborate on that, first of all, authority is a power a spiritual power. It's true that authority has a physical tool, often connected with it, one who's in authority, a physical tool with which that person can enforce his spiritual power. And that might lead us to think that authority is just really a physical power. Honor thy father and thy mother. They're bigger than you are. They'll spank you if you don't. That's a mistake for us to make, not that parents mayn't enforce, of course they may, but it's a mistake for us to think that this is just a matter of them being bigger and of them uh, giving consequences if they don't. The authority that they have is a spiritual power that comes from God. Likewise with a civil magistrate, the policeman has his handcuffs, the judge can put one in jail, That in itself, they have authority to do, but it's only given them these physical uh, weapons or tools to use to those who dishonor their authority. Their authority is fundamentally spiritual. And this authority then, next, comes from God. Jehovah God who created the world who created the human race, and who therefore said to Adam and Eve, as it were, I'm going to tell you what you may do and what you may not do, of what you may eat and of what you may not eat. And Adam never said to him, and what makes you think you can do that? But Adam understood that what made God think he could do that is that God created him. Authority is inherent in creation. It is part of God's creative order. And therefore, when he created Adam and Adam first, 
and later created Eve and brought her to Adam to be an help fit for Adam, he made clear that also Adam was her authority. And there we see that there was such a thing as authority before the fall. And therefore, authority does not inherently mean some guy gets to tell other people what to do and you'd better do it his way, but that God's intent with authority is that those in authority would use their authority in love, in tenderness toward the one who is under authority. Now, even after Adam and Eve sinned, there is still an authority that God gave them. They became parents. Later, their children bore children. After a while, there are so many people that there's a need for civil government, some sort of authority to help govern society. All comes from God. That it comes from God is part also of His gospel. You and I understanding that there is authority in our homes and in the church is part of the gospel, for God has principally given all authority to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the one who rules the world, governs creation, governs the history of the world, and Jesus Christ, therefore, who in the sphere of His covenant, says to this man and this woman, I'm going to give you a child. You're going to be parents. And that means more than just that you will have a lovely bundle to smile at, and to give you earthly joys, it means you are to raise that child in the fear of Jesus Christ. If it's authority of the civil realm, it's come from God through Christ. Romans 13, He is the minister of God. If it's authority in the church realm, it's come from Christ. Pastor, elders, deacons, representing the threefold office of Jesus Christ, and even the office of all believer, finding its authority in Jesus Christ, our mediator and Savior. All authority comes from God in Jesus Christ. I emphasize this because it's not the view of authority that is prevalent in society around. And if you see in society around a transgressing of this commandment, often and regularly, you and I shouldn't be surprised. The transgression of this commandment by ungodly unbelievers flows from an entirely different view of authority than the child of God has. The world around says, well, the human race evolved. And therefore, authority, that some would be in authority over others, is also a product of evolution. Now, if it's a product of evolution, there cannot ultimately be a right or a wrong. And there cannot ultimately be something wrong with dishonoring authority. Or another view that's found in the world around us would be that Authority is a matter of society recognizing the need for government. 
Really, civil government, and so government in any sphere, is a result of those who are being governed saying, we need this government for our own well-being, for our own protection, and therefore the people giving to the civil government its authority. Now, if that's true, then when you don't like what civil government does, you may despise their authority. Who's to say you may? Ultimately, it comes from you, from me, from us. The Word of God finds the source of all authority in God. That's why there can be a command, Honor thy father and thy mother. This underlying principle our Lord and Savior taught while He was on earth. He knew that men had authority. He did not question the authority of Joseph and Mary, his adoptive father, shall we call him, and his biological mother. He did not even question the authority of the chief priests and rulers and of Pontius Pilate when they were bent on putting him to death. It was not their authority that he questioned, but whether they were using their authority in a godly way. And even then, he showed his submission to the will of his heavenly Father and his honoring of Pilate's authority by saying nothing. For he knew that through the trial of Pilate, his own father was bringing him to the death of the cross. He knew that their authority came from God, and he said that to Pilate. There is no power that you have except it is given from above. John 19, verse 11. He knew that he came into the world with authority. Authority from God, meaning that he would also answer to God. Authority to judge, John 5. Authority to save. Authority to decide also when he would lay down his own life. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power. And that word power as often in the New Testament is true, means authority. I have authority to lay it down, and I have power, authority to take it up again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Jesus understood authority, recognized the sphere in which he had authority, and taught that authority comes from God. That's the underlying principle of the fifth commandment. And now the fifth commandment itself brings that principle out in a specific command, honor thy father and thy mother. The commandment doesn't use the word authority, of course. It uses the word father and mother. And in using the word father and mother, it does what every commandment does. It takes... One specific component of a broader whole, and it uses that one specific component, and you and I are to understand that by referring to that one specific component, the whole is encompassed and in view. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. 
Thou shalt not steal. Very specific actions forbidden. But we know that in forbidding that specific action, God forbids everything that would lead up to the action and a whole broad category of actions that all center in killing or committing adultery or murder. And so here, honor thy father and thy mother. The catechism is right. It's doing justice to the intent of God in the commandment to add the words, and all in authority over me. And why are father and mother the words that the catechism or that God uses in order to refer to this broad category? Because the home is the basic unit of society. The command now is to honor. Children, notice this. God doesn't, first of all, say obey, although when you honor, you will obey. He says, have the right mental view of your mother and your father. Honor. I'm going to use two analogies to help drive home what it is to honor father and mother. What it is to have the right mental view of them. Children. Suppose somebody asked you, what do you think of your father or your mother? You could say, I don't think much of them. They make me go to bed at 9 o'clock. They don't let me have candy all day long. They're really not good parents. You could find, you could find other parents that are better because they let, me, they let me do what I want to do. And that would be dishonoring. That would be having a low view of mother and father. But to honor them would be to say, you ask me what I think of my father and mother, I know their weaknesses. I live in the same houses they live in. I even know their besetting sins. Every human is able to figure out his neighbor's besetting sins. You don't have to be taught that at the feet of Jesus. But my father and my mother are so precious to me. They're worth more than all the money in the world could buy because God gave them to me. That's the idea of honoring. Now again, two illustrations of that. First of all, and this really is embedded in the idea of honor in the Bible, put mom and dad on a scale. I don't mean find out their earthly weight. I mean put them on a scale and figure out how valuable they are to you. Long before we had a scale that we stepped on, long before there was digital and electric, there was your typical scale with a fulcrum point. You put something on one side and to figure out what it was worth, what you would pay for it, how much it weighed, you put something on the other side and you balance the scale. Children, if you put your parents on one side of the scale, what must you put on the other side to balance them? How weighty are they? And it's only when you say, God gave them to me. 
God intends to govern me by their hand. It pleases Him to do that. Through my mother and father, sinful though they are, weak though they are, through them He's going to teach me how to love Him, how to love His church, how to love and honor Jesus Christ. That's what I have to put on this other side of the scale. And then it balances. That's honoring your father and mother. And now again, another analogy, but somewhat related. If someone were to say to you, I'll buy your mother and father from you. This is, of course, hypothetical, and it's even ludicrous. Nobody's going to do that. But if somebody were, how much money would you settle for? You know what Judas Iscariot did. You know how much he honored his Lord and Savior. Well, he wasn't his Savior, was he? He was his Lord, his master, his teacher. He said, 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave, that'd be enough. I'd give, I'd almost give him away. Children, when you honor, you say, not for the world, not my mother and father, not for the world. Now, that's honoring. Whether it's father or mother, whether it's teacher, whether it's pastor, elder, or deacon, whether it's boss, whether it's civil government, that's honoring. And what helps us then to honor father and mother is to see this underlying principle, authority comes from God. I need it. And that takes humility, because I'd like to think I didn't need it. I could take care of myself, and God is saying to me, oh no, you can't. Not only is the six-week-old child in need of father and mother to change its diaper and to feed it, and to bring it from place to place, but the 20-year-old child is in need of father and mother to impart wisdom, to model humility and love and obedience, to chasten and to rebuke if needed. By implication... The fifth commandment which requires children to honor says also something to those in authority. And that is, be honorable. Now I'm not suggesting that the authority that is not honorable or respectable gives therefore the child or the one under authority a reason, a good reason, To dishonor. I'm not suggesting that. Nonetheless, the fact is that those in authority, you and me, in whatever sphere of authority we hold, we do manifest our weaknesses and our sinfulness. And it is our calling to understand that in this authority we answer to God. We must be like God. We must therefore seek His grace and power to use His authority in his service. As a parent, it isn't just that I get to call all the shots. As an employer, it isn't just that it's my way or the highway. But I serve God, I represent God, and I must conduct myself toward those under authority in a way 
that shows Jesus Christ lives in me. This by implication. Our Lord and Savior having that mind. That although he was the Savior of his people over the length and breadth of the earth. Although he was the Lord of creation. Yet it wasn't just that he could do his will. He came to do his Father's will. This tempered his use of his authority. And so yours and mine. Our children and those under our authority will see that we have weaknesses and infirmities. But may they not see that we are either blind to those weaknesses or infirmities, or that we defend them, or that, worse yet, we suppose that we can be even weaker and even more infirm, even more unreasonable just to try to teach the one under authority to honor. No. Although the power to honor authority comes from the Holy Spirit alone, yet what motivates the child is seeing a father and mother who love and are godly. Whether in authority then or under Having considered the underlying principle, we see we all fall short. We need the instruction our Lord gives. It's a humbling and even painful reminder, but we need it in order to look to Him for His perfect righteousness to cover our sins and to find the strength to obey anew. Now in the passage we read, Jesus Christ makes a specific application of this underlying principle. The Pharisees and the scribes have come from Jerusalem, meaning that Jesus is not in Jerusalem, and that they're intent on trapping this Jesus in his words and in his actions. And they have a question, why do your disciples eat without washing their hands? Let's be clear on something, children. When mom says, you will go wash your hands before you eat. She's not being a Pharisee. She's looking out for your well-being. She's teaching you something. The Pharisees were not so concerned with earthly filth. Their idea when it came to washing hands and many other things, the washing of cups and pots and brass vessels and tables, their idea was there's something more holy about all this washing. And so to show that we are holy, we keep the law of God. We're going to wash our hands. Isn't that so silly? This idea that the keeping of the law of God boils down to, the being pleasing in His sight boils down to something so simple This was the idea of the Pharisees. And it becomes the idea of every one of us who's prone to think that if I just do this, just act that way, suddenly God will like me. That's all that really matters. It's the key to happiness. And we set aside Jesus Christ. It's called self-righteousness. That was the problem with the Pharisees. Jesus answered them, 
Not just that they had a silly law. Not just that they were self-righteous, but he did essentially do that when he said, you hypocrites. But he said this, you have set aside the law of God. And they might have reacted in a bit of horror there. Oh no, we didn't set aside the law of God. We keep those Ten Commandments. In fact, this washing that we're encouraging everyone to do really is rooted in the law because the law requires the washing of certain vessels at certain times. We've just expanded on it and made it a more general practice. Jesus says, oh no, oh no, you set aside the law of God. See that in verse 8. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men. So that, first of all, his specific application to the Pharisees is, you do not submit to God's authority. And then, secondly, he says, you show that by how you treat father and mother. For well, ye reject the tradition or the commandment of God, that you may keep your own tradition. For Moses said, honor thy father and thy mother, and Whoso curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Corban, that is to say, a gift. By whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And ye suffer him no more to do anything for his father or mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition. You see, this is what's going on. The duty of a child to honor father and mother does not end when the child moves out of the house. It might be that the child no longer obeys in the sense that the child did when he was a minor. And certainly father and mother will not correct using the same physical tools that father or mother did when the child was a minor. But the duty to honor goes on until father and mother die. Implied in that is that when father and mother get old and are unable to work and care for themselves, the children must care for the parents. Of course, today you say we do. They've got social security. They have a pension to live on. They're going to be taken care of in their own way. Oh, that's the day we live in. But it wasn't always that way. The children are to take care of the parents. That's the principle. Now the Pharisees found a neat way to get around it and yet try to convince mom and dad that they really had mom and dad's best interests at heart. They said, mom and dad, I've got a bunch of money and of course I could use it to help support you, but it is Corban, which is to say it's something I designated for God. I put it in a trust fund for the temple. Now, mom and dad, you ought to be very flattered that you have a son who loves God so much, that he would care about the temple so much, that he would give all his money for the kingdom's causes like that. And you ought to understand that if in the end you don't eat quite as well, don't have clothing that's quite as suitable, that nonetheless your son is quite a legalist quite a holy man, and he gave all his money to God. And Jesus says, you set the commandment of God aside. It is Corban. 
by whatsoever you, mother or father, might be profited, and ye suffer him to do no more. Uh, that is, you suffer him no more to do anything for father and mother. And father and mother are not honored. That is the specific application of the principle that God makes to the Pharisees. And from it, we can learn three specific principles or points of keeping this commandment. And the first is, basically what Jesus reminded the Pharisees of, yes. If father and mother are 80 or 90, you still honor them. That honor shows itself in different ways than it did when you were 8 and they were 28. But you still honor them. The commandment is abiding. The Word of God underscores in 1 Timothy 5 verse 4 also that if there's a widow who has nephews at home, the word is grandsons really, we would use that word, then they are to care for her. Yes, the widows may come to the church of Jesus Christ, to the diaconate for help, but if she has family that can help her, then honoring mother or grandmother requires children to help. That principle applies. That's number one. A second lesson we learn from this is how quickly we make excuses for dishonoring and disobeying that we think God will accept. I can't. Look at the circumstances of my life. Or maybe we blame them. There's something in mom and dad that make it unable for me to honor them. That's our sinful nature. And that's what sin does. It blinds us to sin. It makes us think we're off the hook. But the fifth commandment is part of the ten commandments of the moral law of God. None of them are out of date. God in the day of judgment will evaluate and examine us in light of each one of them. The third lesson we learn from this specific application that Jesus made is how serious a matter the violating of the fifth commandment is. And even that promise that God added to it suggests the same point. The Old Testament law required death for those who cursed the parents. Whosoever curseth father or mother, let him die the death. Let him die. The death refers to the congregation of the people of Israel coming together and stoning this one who does not honor his parents. And if need be, father or mother throwing the first Stones. Every father and every mother says, How could I? And the answer is, in love for God. We're not just talking about a child now who one time disobeyed, in some small way dishonored. We're talking about a child 
who refuses to utter. We're talking about a grown child who knows full well his sin and will not turn from it. This is how serious a matter the keeping of this commandment is. And therefore, implied in the promise is a warning that thy days might be long in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. But if we do not keep the commandment, that there will be a death that we endure, not first of all a physical death, but spiritual death, the judgment of God poured out on us. How serious a matter the keeping of this commandment is. Yet because we find that we cannot keep it in ourselves, we haven't the power, we haven't the grace, we look to Jesus Christ. Look to what He did on the cross. Look to His perfect obedience. And then we find in Him the power to obey as Christ obeyed. I already indicated earlier that our Lord and Savior understood authority. And understood that authority came from God. But now do you see ways in which very specifically he obeyed this commandment of the law of God? What do we read in Luke 2 verse 51? And he went down with them. This is 12 year old Jesus. Found in the temple teaching the scribes and the Pharisees, the doctors and the rabbis. Instead of going back with his parents to Nazareth, found in the temple, Son, they ask him, Why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And two things now that show his submission to authority. How is it that ye sought me? Wished ye not that I must be about my father's business? Mother, I do care about you. It isn't that I'm ignorant of or careless about the need to honor you, but I have a heavenly Father and I was doing His work. And then in verse 51, And He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. No covenant person of any age may say, I do not need to be subject to, submissive to father or mother. But in not being submissive to father and mother, I'm still like Christ. None may say that. He was subject unto them. How else did Jesus show his care for his mother? There came a point where he was dying on the cross. Apparently Joseph was dead, so Mary was a widow. He was the oldest son. The care of his mother fell to him, and he was dying now too. And though there were other brothers who could care for his mother, they, at the moment he was dying, did not believe in him, and he would not give his mother over to unbelieving brothers. So in keeping the fifth commandment, he said, Woman, behold thy son. Son, behold thy mother. And he entrusted the care of his mother to his disciple, John. Our Lord and Savior kept this commandment. Even his calling his mother woman, as he did a few times in his ministry, was not a matter of his being exasperated with her 
was not a matter of frustration, not a matter of putting her in her place, but in the case of Jesus, a matter of Jesus saying to her, do you understand that although I am your son, yet this relationship of mother and son is different from every other mother-son relationship in the history of the whole world? Because I am not merely human, but God in the flesh. I'm both your son and your Savior, mother. And what I call you woman is to remind you that now I'm speaking and acting as your Savior. Jesus Christ kept this commandment. He kept, of course, all the commandments of the law of God. And this keeping of all the commandments, including the fifth, leads him to go to the death of the cross. Son, if you had a father say, well, I'm going to kill you today, you'd call the police. You'd say, that's not being a father, the way God requires you to be a father. And of course, that's true. And it wouldn't be. It would be a sin on the part of your father. Jesus' father said, son, you will go to the cross. You will die the accursed death. And at precisely that point, if Jesus were merely human, if there was just the slightest possibility of sin in him, at precisely that point, a Jesus who had obeyed and been submissive to a father his whole life would have said, oh no, I'm not. What? Go to the cross? Jesus went. His going to the death of the cross showed his submission to his Father's will. It showed his perfect obedience. Of course, he understood why. He understood the necessity. In going to the death of the cross, he represented us. Our sins were on his shoulders and on his back. And in going to the death of the cross, he would atone. He would take those sins away every sin of every child of God so completely away that now, boys and girls, when you dishonor father and mother, and you know you did, and you confess your sin, and you repent of your sin, God says to you, I forgive you for Jesus' sake. If Christ did not obey, if he didn't understand authority, he would not have paid for our sins. But he did. And he arose. And he works that new life in us. So when I say let we obey as Christ obeyed, the point is that we have in him an example. He is far more than an example. That's all liberal Christianity makes of him as just an example. And it's up to you and me to follow his example in our own power according to liberalism. But the gospel is this. He is our example and he empowers us to obey.
honor father and mother. Now the catechism spells out what that looks like. I explained honor already. And obedience, well, we know what that is. To do what we are told, not to have a big mouth, not to sass back. To do as we are told, to do as we are told, when we are told, how we are told. That's obedience. Also to show fidelity, which is to be faithful to. There's times I might not want to honor father and mother. Times I might think I've got more important things to do, especially maybe as a grown child, as a child who lives out of the house. But fidelity is a matter of saying, that's father and mother. I will be faithful to them. The same way a husband will be faithful to his wife, a child will be faithful to his parents. And that faithfulness shows itself when we see their weaknesses and their infirmities and their besetting sins. And faithfulness says, it's not always easy to honor them. I'll do it for God's sake. Fathers and mothers, do we set the example in our homes? And the way we speak of the teachers at school, do we bear patiently with their weaknesses and infirmities? And the way in which we speak of those in authority in the church and in civil government, do we remember and manifest in our speech that we view them as God's instruments for our good? Do we pray for those in authority over us? Do we show this parents in the home in how we express disagreement with those in authority? For we will disagree. The child will disagree with the parent. The parent will disagree with the teacher, with the pastor, with the elder, with the boss, with the civil government. Oh, we will. That's not the wrong part. How do we do it? And when others attack our authority, or attack authority or authorities, do we defend? Add fuel to the fire? Yes, really a bad authority, or defend? How does it go in our home? And ask the question, because how it goes in our home today. This is a lot about what it will be like in our children's homes in 20 and 30 years, and a lot about how it will be in the church of Jesus Christ. We're not here to fix the world. The world is not going to obey this commandment. And 30 years from now, we'll see even development in disobedience to this commandment of God's law. We can't help that. They do not have the life of Jesus Christ in them. But how will it go in the church? How it's going today in our homes tells us how it will go in 30 years. Besides parents, remember that only you, I speak now to covenant parents, to believing parents, to sanctified parents, only you have the power to teach your children and to set this human Example, because only you, in a way an unbelieving 
politician doesn't, in a way an unbelieving boss doesn't, only you. Know the love of your Savior for you. Only you have the life of Christ in you to obey. Only you have the motivation. He laid down his life for me. And then, to add to the motivation, remember the promise that it may be well with thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Certainly there's an Old Testament picture that that promise conjures up. It was spoken, first of all, to Israel at Mount Sinai. And the land promised them was the land of Canaan. And God says to them, you're going to live in that land many, many years Now, if you're going to live there many years, and to live there peaceably and happily, that will mean you must obey, or not in any sense, leaving the impression that it was up to man. This thought, in the way of obedience, you will enjoy the blessings that Jehovah God unconditionally promises and sovereignly bestows. When... Things did not go well for Israel in the land of Canaan. Look back into every Canaanite home, or at least many Canaanite Israelite homes, and you will find this commandment being violated. Now the New Testament fulfillment ultimately is heaven. That it may go well with thee in the land, the heavenly Canaan God promised, but especially Because we're this side of the grave yet, the promise is this. Though there's anarchy all around, though in this home and in that home there is trouble and trouble and trouble, beyond imagining sometimes, in your home and in mine, there will be the beginning of the enjoyment of peace. When children honor their parents. I don't leave the impression, don't mean to, that this will be perfect peace, that we don't need heaven, that anytime there's trouble in your and my home, it's inherently a matter of the of the parents not enforcing this law, but there is a reminder and a motivation and a gospel promise. The blessing of God rests. Uh, Those who keep his law, empowered and motivated by the Spirit of Christ. Children, go home and honor father and mother. Amen. Father, we fall short. We are sinners. Both under authority, we've despised our authorities, and in authority, we've abused our authority. We have. Forgive us for the sake of Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray.